Welcome to Victory Christian Center. You're about to hear from our senior pastor, Pastor Stefan Schlugel, as he brings a message on a Sunday service. Praise God. So we acknowledge the presence of God. We acknowledge the presence of God's holy angels that are all around us. They're also here to listen to the word of God. We acknowledge the defeat of the devil because the devil has been defeated. Jesus says uh, that he's building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. And so the gates of hell have been destroyed. The government of hell has been demolished uh, by what Jesus Christ has done on the cross of Calvary. And we have got the victory in Christ Jesus. So at this point in time, if you haven't got an outline in your hand, why don't you raise up your hand and uh, somebody will get you one. Um, I would also like to uh, welcome our internet audience at this point in time. We want to say welcome. Thank you for joining us uh, today uh, for, this, uh, uh, for this message. And we're trusting God. And we've already prayed for you. We're trusting God for good things in your life and in your family and in that environment that you are situated in. If you're looking for the outline uh, on the internet, there you'll find it just below the screen. There will be a link there uh, that you can download the outline. Uh, this morning, uh, the title of this morning's message is Prayer and Living in God's presence. Prayer and living in God's presence. Uh, this will be the second message in this little mini-series, if you can call that. Uh, I started out last week. Uh, we ran out of time, and I really wanted to finish off that message, um, and that's what I want to be doing this morning. Um, now, the subtitle was called Practicing the Presence of God. Everybody say, Practicing the Presence of God. Uh, it's something that we learn to do. Um, we, we, we are practicing the presence of God. We are learning to become conscious of God's presence. We are learning what it feels like to be in the presence of God and how to attract the presence of God around us and us moving into the presence of God. And uh, so that's where we started out last week. I want to do a quick recap, uh, and then we're going to uh, carry on from there. But we started in Psalm 16 verse 11, and this is from the New King James Version. It says, uh, it says, You shall show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so the Bible speaks there about the presence of God getting into his presence. The Bible says there is fullness of joy at God's right hand. There are pleasures forevermore. I would suggest that everything you and I need is in the presence of God. All right. And when we learn to go there and to live there, then things will become a whole lot easier to access all the things that God has provided for us. And we said that uh, the need for us to live in God's presence becomes greater as we move further and deeper into end times. And how do you know that we are at the end of time as we know it? Uh, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is imminent. The Bible speaks about certain things that will take place uh, prior to that happening. And we got the signs all around us. Um, we said that in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it speaks about the fact that in the last days, stressful times will take place, or perilous times, as the King James Version puts it. And uh, there's certainly a lot of stress around. There's a lot of fear around. Uh, there is a lot of turmoil around. And we said that you and I, even in the middle of a storm, we can be in the eye of the storm in the presence of God and experience a calm that other 
other people cannot understand. The Bible speaks about the peace of God that passes all understanding. And you and I learn how to live in that and how to move into that. Psalm 91, verse uh, 9 and 10, it says, Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, and no plague shall come near your dwelling. And you know that virus, it's part of that plague. No plague shall come near your dwelling. So we are trusting God that in the presence of God, we are enjoying great protection. And we've said that when God and His presence becomes our dwelling place, we become untouchable to the enemy and to his attacks. It says, the Lord, who is your refuge? And you know, sometimes people run to a refuge, stay there for a while, and then they come back out again. But God wants us to live in his presence 24-7. We don't go in and out. We're not tourists in the presence of God that go there, enjoy it, and then go home again, you know, out of the presence of God. But we live in God's presence. Psalm 31, verse 19 it says, oh, how good, or rather, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you, uh, which you have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of man. Verse 20, and here it is. You shall hide them in the secret place of your presence from the plots of man. All right, God hides us in the secret place of his presence. When Psalm 91 verse 1 says, he who dwells in the secret place uh, where is that place? Well, it's in God's presence. All right. We learn to live in God's presence. He says, you shall hide them in the secret place of your presence from the plots of men. And let me tell you, men are plotting. There is creatures and individuals running around. We call them sometimes the elite that have got all sorts of plans for, to control your life and to control my life. And, and you know, for them, money is no longer enough. They want power. They want control. Yet the Bible tells us that we can be safe in God's presence from the plots uh, of these men. You shall keep them secretly in the pavilion from the strife of tongues. You know, there's a lot of tongues out there that are speaking, speaking uh, lies and deception and everything. Yet God hides us in his presence. And then finally here in Psalm 140 verse 13, it says, Surely the righteous uh, let me start again. Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name. The upright shall dwell in your presence. The upright shall dwell in your presence. So it seems to me in some of these Psalms there that were written by David, uh, the shepherd boy, David, the warrior, David who became king, he knew something about the presence of God because he talked about it over and over and he talked about, you know, living in the presence of God, being in the presence of God, and so forth. And there we moved on into James chapter 4, verse 7. And I'm still kind of recapping before we move on. But in, in James chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So we learn to draw near to God. We were doing that before during worship, which is drawing near to God. And when we draw near to God, God draws near to us. And so we talked about how do we do that, uh, drawing near to God. There's not just a single method of drawing near to God. And we listed four areas. We covered one um, 
and then moved on, on to the second one. The first one was seeking God's will for our lives. When we draw near to God and we say, God, what is your plan? What is your will for my life? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to be? Uh, how am I supposed to function in your kingdom? Uh, where do I serve? What do I do? We seek God's uh, will for our lives. And, uh, and I'm at that moment reminded when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he had lived a sinless life. Uh, he's standing at the point of crucifixion, some, you know, being some hours away. And then he went into God's presence and says, Father, he says, if it be your will, he says, take this cup away from me. And that cup that he was referring to was the cup of suffering. And he knew that he had to drink from it, but he's just wrestling with this thing. In fact, the Bible says he wrestled with things so much that he sweated drops of blood. Uh, in that moment there with the intensity uh, of him kind of, uh, you know, struggling with this thing. He says, if, if it's possible, take this cup away from me. He says, nevertheless, he says, not, what, not my will, but you will be done. So in the end, he lived out the, uh, the will of the Father for him, and he went right to the cross. And uh, through his death and the shedding of his blood, he paid the price for you and for me. And uh, so that we can be forgiven, so we can be born again. We can now come into the presence of God uh, and so forth. So seeking God's will for our lives. Uh, and some things that God requires of us uh, uh, run clash with our own will. Um, and uh, sometimes, you know, we just have to. That's why the Bible speaks about the fact that we need to die to self and we embrace God's will. We say yes to God and say, God, if that's what you want me to do, I'll say yes to that. Um, and some of you could tell the story how you've wrestled with that and, and you endeavor to find the will of God for your life. And then sometimes people are not quite sure and, uh, and so forth. So we seek God's will for our lives. And then we said point number two, prayer and fasting uh, is another way for us to seek God um, and another way for us to draw near into his presence. We said that fasting intensifies the effects of our prayers. Uh, and we read here from Acts 13, uh, verse 2, it says that as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them to. Uh, then having fasted and prayed, they laid their hands upon them and they sent them away. So there was a group of ministers that came together. They spent some time ministering to the Lord. Uh, it doesn't specify uh, what exactly they did, but my, uh, my, my sense will be that they were worshiping uh, God and they were ministering to the Lord in worship. And, and as they were worshiping, the Holy Spirit spoke and he says, pull out uh, Barnabas and Saul um, and, and, and kind of... Uh, you know, for the work that I've called them to. And, and that time of fasting and prayer became the launching point for Paul and for Barnabas' ministry. Uh, just a tremendous, uh, um, you know, two men, and in particular Paul stood out uh, with the work that God had called him to do and with, you know, as we refer to that, you know, uh, uh, practically, a, you know, a third to half of the New Testament uh, in, in terms of the writings uh, from the Gospels on is Paul's writings and the revelation that the man carried, and praise God for that. So I want to move on from here and swing into 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 
So I want to encourage you in some of those areas there and to find God's will for your own life if you haven't quite found it. Or, you know, that's, that's a, a progressive thing. God doesn't uncover un, un, un everything for us completely. We just always know where to place the next step and, and what God wants us to move into. And um, in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 27, Paul speaking, he says, In weariness and in toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger, in thirst, in fastings often, in cold and in nakedness. So Paul speaks there about the challenges that he experienced as part of his, his travels, part of his you know, living in God's will and, 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 and carrying out the plan that God had determined for him and, and so forth. And it speaks there about in fastings often. Evidently, Paul was a man that fasted often. Um, in fact, when I look at some of the Bible commentators, they said that that was possibly forced fasting, that, that uh, he didn't have enough food to eat, so he was just fasting because there wasn't any food around. And I said, no, that was covered in the, in the previous, in hunger and in thirst, uh, that sometimes, uh, you know, he, 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 he didn't have enough food in order to get to the next place. And, you know, praise God for churches like the Philippian church who supported Paul in the ministry so that he is able to carry on to, to do the things that God had called him to do. But it speaks there about fastings often. Paul fasted often. And I commend those of you that have jumped on board with our Friday fast. Uh, most everybody can do that. It's really not very complicated. We fast on Fridays uh, for breakfast and for lunch, and we don't eat until dinner time. And then for all intents and purposes, we have fasted. It's not a huge fast, but we do that every Friday. Uh, then I encourage you, if you haven't already done so, to jump on board. God stirred my heart last week to get back to some of that that Vanessa and I used to do in the early days of Feed the Hungry uh, with Dr. Samuel, uh, God speaking to the man, and he said to him, he says, get the church to fast on, on Fridays for breakfast and for lunch. And of course, there was the whole food program that God laid out before him. And we did that for a number of years and, and, and then stopped and, you know, swap and change. And, and God stirred my heart last year to get back to that again. And I believe for us as a church to, to fast and to dedicate Friday uh, is a time of fasting and praying. And if Friday doesn't work for you, pick another day. This is not a rule. This is not a law. I'm just encouraging you um, for us to, to fast and to believe God uh, in the area. In fact, I'm going to touch on some of that just very shortly. So, you know, sometimes, and we're talking about living in God's presence, and when we fast and pray, we, we're learning to move further and deeper into the presence of God. And then it's not about a matter of coming into the presence of God and going back out again, but we learn to take the presence of God with us. You know, in the Old Testament, the priests... Uh, when they moved from camp to camp uh, and they had the Ark of the Covenant with them. You know, they carried this thing on their shoulder. And the Ark of the Covenant uh, actually was the ultimate representation of the presence of God. The priests carried the presence of God around uh, with them. And you and I, we are kings and priests. We carry the presence of God. And when you go to work on Monday morning, you carry the presence of God into work with you. And when you go on the sports field, you carry the presence of God with you. You go to the gym or you go to the school or wherever you go, you carry the presence of God with you. And as we learn to do that, uh, you know, it's been said that, uh, that uh, Smith uh, Wigglesworth was one day sitting in a train 
just minding his own business. And typically in trains, you know, you got these bench seats and somebody sat opposite him uh, and the person opposite him started crying and they were so overcome with the presence of God that was on the man's life that they repented right there of their sins. Uh, and, uh, you know, there is a, there is a presence uh, that we can carry with us and there is a conviction that comes uh, on lost people around us uh, with all of that. Uh, in fact, uh, our good friend, uh, Pastor Don, uh, told a story how he was on a on a plane flying and again just minding his own business he was probably on a speaking engagement going somewhere and he's just minding his own business and he says and the the stewardess the lady that was serving them she started crying and she says it's you he says it's you you are the one that you know that I'm crying and basically uh, he had to help her to identify that it wasn't him it was just the presence of God that was with him so there's something in this area friends that more Christians we need to lay a hold of these things and and to, to live in God's presence and to carry the presence of God around with us wherever we go. Sometimes we fast and we pray and we seek God for direction, but in that time of fasting and praying, many times there's not an immediate answer, not an immediate word, not an immediate like lightning bolt say, oh, you know, thou shalt do this or thou shalt do that. Um, and then we fasted and prayed and said, oh, not, nothing much happened. But you see, here's the deal, friends. God hears our prayers and God sees our heart. And when we dedicate ourselves to press into God, then God, having heard our prayers and having seen our heart, he then decides to speak to us at a time and, at a, and through a method of his choosing. All right, and I've, so I've had this before where I'm sort of really pressing into God and say, God, you know, I, I really want to have greater understanding here and Lord, reveal this to me and show that to me. And then in my time of actual fasting and praying, there's not any lightning bolt or anything, but I come away from there and suddenly, you know, it could be, it could be a dream. It could be a, a revelation. It could be sometimes I wake up in the morning and I just know some, something that I didn't know the day before. You know, the, the old-time Pentecostal, they used to say, I know something in my Noah. We have, a, we have an unction from the Holy One, the Bible says, and in our spirit we have an understanding. Suddenly that wasn't there before. God's given us a revelation. You know, some people hear, some people see, but some people just know. And it's not the same for every person. And God's got different methods to bring understanding to us. Because the primary method that God uses is through the teaching and the preaching of the Word and, and reading. But God can speak to us in visions and in dreams. He can speak to us through a friend who taps us on the shoulder and makes a comment. And suddenly we knew that we've heard from God in that comment right there. Um, God can speak to us through prophecy. Though we don't live our lives by prophecy, God's got a variety of ways of getting a word to us, uh, but uh, the deal is that we press in and say, God, reveal uh, you, uh, your will for my life. And uh, there's an instant here in Acts chapter 16 where Paul had a vision. Uh, and, you know, we've just read that he fasted often. And here they're in, uh, in the area uh, that would be uh, referred to as present-day Turkey, uh, in the area there where Europe and Asia meet, if you like. Um, and I want to pick that story up in verse 6 of Acts chapter 16. It says, When they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And after they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, 
but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troyes. Um, and verse 9 says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, so what's happening here is that Paul and his uh, ministry traveling companions traveled around. They, you know, they ministered in different places, uh, in, as I said before, in an area what we would call as present-day Turkey. Um, and then they tried to go over east uh, into, you know, into Asia, but the Bible says the Holy Spirit forbade them. And then they tried to go into this other region there, uh, what they call this uh, Bithynia, which is uh, northern Turkey, but the Spirit did not permit them. So the Holy Spirit forbade them over here. He, he did not permit them to go there. And at that moment, Paul has a vision in the night. And in that vision, he sees a man over in southern Europe uh, in an area called um, Macedonia, northern, northern Greece, if you like. And the man says, Paul, come over here and help us. And Paul immediately knew that God had spoken to him, and in this instance, uh, in this instance, it was a vision that God used to direct the man in regards to the next place of ministry. And of course, that opened up the whole ministry uh, on the European continent uh, and so forth. And uh, and you know, sometimes when I read that in the early days of my walk with the Lord, and I'm thinking, gosh, you know, they wanted to go into Asia to preach the gospel, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, forbade them. Um, he did not permit them to do so. Doesn't God want the gospel preached in Asia? Well, well, absolutely, God wants the gospel preached. But in this instance here, it seems to me that the Holy Spirit working with limited missionary power, and, and God knows where the hearts of the people are open and who was more ready than somebody else, uh, he sent them over to southern Europe. Because history tells us that one of the apostles by the name of Thomas moved on into Asia and he ministered extensively in India and so forth. And they had the, the, the preaching going on over there. So it's not like God didn't want preaching over here and only over there. God wants the gospel preached everywhere. But in this instance here, it was still early days in the life of the church and the missionary um, laborers were still scarce. And uh, somehow in God's foreknowledge and in his strategy, he forbade Paul to go into one area, and he says, go over there. And of course, we know what happened from there, that uh, the gospel was uh, preached for the first time in Europe. And, uh, and praise God for you know, the gospel preached in Europe and taking a hold. Uh, and, uh, and then you know, Europeans going out to, as missionaries all around the world. So somehow in God's strategy, we don't always understand why God says a certain thing over here, but God knows what he's doing. Let me read to you uh, a passage of Scripture here, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9. Um, and in verse 35, and we're talking about limited missionary laborers available. It says, when Jesus... I mean, about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. 
And then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And uh, what's kind of struck me about this here is that Jesus, Jesus was actually for all intents and purposes, because he's the Messiah, the Son of God, he's God become man, he was actually an itinerant preacher, if you like. He traveled around uh, preaching the gospel of the kingdom in different places and in different spaces. And it says here, when he moved about, the Bible says that he, he saw the multitudes and he was moved with compassion. And if we truly have and carry the heart of Jesus, in our own heart, we, move, we look over the multitudes of the population, populations, plural, of the world, and we are moved with compassion because it's like Jesus says here, they're like sheep, they have no shepherd. And there's multitude, that's just like today, there's multitudes of people, people running around trying to make their lives work. They have no shepherd. They have nobody that guides them spiritually into the right way. They have nobody that feeds them spiritually, that gathers them together and, and watches over them. And of course, the ultimate shepherd is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the chief shepherd of our soul. He wants to shepherd everybody, but people must come to him. And when they do, and God places people who are born again into local churches where they are shepherds, where they are leaders, where they are elders, so they are able to look after people spiritually and, and teach them on how to make their lives work and teach them how to make their marriage work and how to, you know, how to get healed and how to put food on the table and all of these other things. He says the laborers are too few. All right, at that stage, uh, we're now in uh, Matthew chapter 9. It's still in the early part of the, of the three and a half years of Jesus' ministry. He had, you know, 12 disciples around him. Uh, then a little bit later on, he called another 70 and sent them all out as well to preach and to teach and to heal the sick and, you know, cleanse the lepers, cast out devils and so forth. But he said, it's like we're not keeping up here. The laborers are too few. Um, and then he made an interesting statement. He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Well, the Lord of the harvest is Father God. The harvest belongs to the Lord. He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he send out laborers into, the, into his harvest. And, and really, the, the whole need for us, you know, we, we were speaking some time ago that there's a need for us to pray for the harvest itself, for, for the people that God open the eyes of their understanding, but thereafter, once God is moved, then we need to pray that God send out laborers that can actually do the harvesting because the laborers are few. And uh, praise God for every missionary that's gone out into foreign fields and praise God for every person that's moved to another place to, you know, to plant the church there, to have a, a mission station from which they can reach out from. But actually the reality is every one of us are missionaries. We can, we can evangelize our neighbor across the back fence. So we can, we're all missionaries. And, and Jesus is saying, he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he send out laborers. And, and the revelation, when that comes to our own hearts that we actually sent ones, uh, that God has sent every single one of us to somehow carry the good news uh, of Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross to friends and family and workmates and people that we play sports with or whatever uh, the scenario might be. And, you know, for some people, it is literally leaving their 
leaving their, their country and going to other places to preach the gospel there. But for many or for most, it's really just reaching out where they are. Um, in fact, I was really impressed uh, a couple of weekends ago when I was in Auckland and in, in this, uh, you know, um, sort of uh, missionary sending church environment um, and they had a leadership seminar on, on Friday evening, Friday and then Saturday, and then they had the celebration uh, meeting on Sunday, and they'd asked me to input into the leadership seminar and then to speak on Sunday morning. Anyway, on Saturday, um, before they finished the leadership seminar, I just finished, uh, you know, bringing a message, hopefully that, that encouraged them, and then, then the, you know, the, the apostle got up, and he uh, you know, call people forward for various things to be prayed for and so forth. And one of the last calls that he made was, okay, how many of you believe that you're called to be a missionary? And I was impressed, like there was, there would have been 20 people that got up, mostly young people, and that stepped forward and, as it were, made a, made a call to say, I'm going to lay down my life, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave my home, I'm going to leave my family, I'm going to travel to a foreign field to preach the gospel. And I was... I was really touched by that. And I was kind of humored at the same time because the pastor there, the, the apostle said, he says, well, he says, we will miss you. And he wasn't in any way trying to be funny, but he says, we will miss you, but, but we, we, we will gladly send you out. Some of you, he says, some of you might even pay with, with your own life, he says, but we will see you in heaven. And you know what, there's... There is an area there that sometimes uh, that, you know, the Western church doesn't want to hear that sort of stuff by and large. I say by and large. Of course, there's exceptions and there's very many dedicated people that are just saying, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just abandon my own plans. I'm going to abandon my career. I'm going to abandon everything that I wanted to do or even what my parents wanted me to do. And I'm going to dedicate myself uh, to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, to preach the word in foreign fields. And uh, yeah, pray to the Lord of the harvest. He says, the laborers are too few. And as I said, I was really impressed by that. And these young people standing there and being prayed for and then obviously making the right moves to get themselves trained and to get into the, in, into the right sort of training situation there, the schooling there for, for missions and so forth, and then being launched out uh, and uh, I'm thinking, oh gosh, you know, um, um, you know, I'm, I've got a job. I've studied for three, five, seven, eight years. Uh, actually, the 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 very effective style of evangelism uh, these days and missionary work is when young people get themselves trained up and get themselves an education, uh, get themselves a degree or two, and whether that you know they become a a doctor or a lawyer or nursing or whatever, and you, uh, jobs that are required in foreign fields and go there and work in that environment, and that will open the door. And they will carry on working, but they're doing missionary work in the process rather than quitting their secular job and, and doing that and so forth. So sometimes people got little boxes, uh, uh, and, uh, and sometimes people are a little bit boxed in. Um, you know, much of the world in recent years has been evangelized by professional people who did evangelism as their hobby besides their full-time job, which also kept them busy. So there's a whole area there where, as I say, that was sort of like something that, oh, wow, you know, this is amazing. Um, and my heart was really 
you know, stirring in this area. And friends, let me, uh, and it's in your outline here, the closer we get to God and to His presence, the more we feel His burden and passion for lost people. If you're talking about being close to God, if, if you're really close to God, we will feel, we will sense the God's passion. Like Jesus, when He looked over the multitude, He was moved with compassion of all of these lost people, like sheep not having a shepherd. Um, and all of these lost people. Um, it's amazing how, you know, the, the, the founder of the Salvation Army, William Booth, he had one vision, and it so radically transformed his life that he dedicated the remaining time of his life to the preaching of the gospel and to the building of churches. And now you've got the Salvation Army all around the world. One vision, one man starting out, and him and his wife dedicating their lives. And the vision was about uh, a physical stretch of water with a mountain uh, or a hill sticking out of it, and all of these people drowning. Um, and uh, all of these people drowning and disappearing under the water. And God was kind of describing to him uh, with, with sort of a natural picture there, what it looks like spiritually when people, when people die and then disappear and go down rather than being rescued out of the water and being safe on the mountain. And, you know, Jesus Christ is our rock. He, he's our mountain. And, and, and when he describes, and I would encourage you uh, that that vision is freely available on the Internet to read that, and, and it so gripped his heart. It made such an impact on him that he dedicated the remaining time of his life towards the preaching of the gospel. Uh, and still, you know, we look across the multitudes and the laborers are still too few. Uh, there's not enough people on the ground um, to reach lost people and to pull them out of that uh, lake of humanity where the whole lake and everything in it will go to hell. You know, friends, heaven and hell are real places. They're not just a state of mind. And... Uh, you know, being really, really stirred in God's presence to feel the burden and the passion for lost people. We're still speaking about living in God's presence, and we discussed a couple of points there that of what we can do to, to you know, move uh, into God's presence and to practice His presence and to not feel like a tourist uh, in the place, but we can live uh, in that space. The third area I want to speak to you about is feasting on God's Word. You know, feasting, we are fasting the flesh, but we are feasting on God's Word. Um, I know about you, but when I open the Bible and I start reading, there's a sense of peace that comes over me, um, and I actually endeavor to get real quiet, uh, because if I'm quickly, quickly, oh, quickly read my, you know, a couple of chapters for today, uh, and everything, if I'm too, reading too quick, I'm going to slow right down, because unless the Holy Spirit helps me, to understand the truth of God's Word. It's, it's just, you know, just reading for the sake of reading and moving on again. But uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You know, each time when we open the good book to read, to study, to meditate in the Scriptures, we draw near to God. And God's right there. And he wants to open the eyes of our understanding and to help us to understand. And slowing right down so that the, the, the words that are written on the pages of the book 
can enter our eye gate and register in our mind and a revelation can drop into our heart. And you know, some of us have read the Bible multiple times. I shared with you last week, I've just started up again because I finished one, one read through the Bible in, in a year, though it's taken me longer than a year, but I've started up again and, and, and I'm rereading all over again because my spirit has to be fed and, uh, and my mind has to be constantly be renewed and I need fresh manna for every day. And uh, it's interesting, I was just, you know, praying before, and I was, I'm very conscious that there's atmospheres now, atmospheres, and always been there, atmospheres that are like there's demonic interference going on uh, over nations, uh, sometimes over cities, even over churches, and people are all distracted, and they can't figure it out. But, you know, we clear the atmosphere of demonic interference. You know, the devil wants to always discourage people and push them down, uh, but when we enjoy an open heaven, we are conscious of God's presence and we settle down uh, with the Word of God and allow the Spirit of God to speak to us. And, uh, you know, we're drawing near to God. And, and once again, uh, in, it's what it says in the outline here that without the Holy Spirit's help, we cannot understand the truths of the Bible. And uh, you might say, you know, how often do you have to read the Bible? It's actually not a matter of how often we read the Bible, it's, we need fresh men every day. And, uh, and for me, uh, it makes most sense rather than doing a random opening the Bible here and then opening there and getting discouraged because I'm not getting anything out of it. I work my way through it systematically. Just a systematic reading uh, of the Bible. I read a portion of the Old Testament. I read a portion of the New Testament. You know, in the old days, I had a physical Bible. In fact, I got it right there. Um, it's had two bookmarks in it. I, I can see them from here. And I'd have one bookmark in the Old Testament and the other bookmark in the New Testament. And I, I read some chapters in the Old and then I flip over to the New Testament. So I'm getting a, a good balanced diet of the Word of God and I work my way through it that way. Uh, and as it always stood, by the time I got to the end of the of the New Testament, I was just a little bit over halfway in the Old Testament. So I start reading the New Testament again. So I'm getting more of of you know, of the new covenant and what I got off the Old Testament. Nowadays, I work with, uh, you know, with Bible apps, and it's real easy to get yourself a, 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 a read through the Bible in, in a year plan, sorted out. And I encourage you, if you're not currently on a regular Bible reading plan, read the Bible through in a year. Do that. And if you have never read the Bible before, then I really encourage you. You need to read the whole Bible. Because the Bible says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for, you know, for teaching, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. There's four areas listed right there that, you know, doctrine, we need doctrine, we need to be taught. It speaks there about correction. You know, the Word of God corrects us. If I'm off anywhere, even in, in just in my attitude, I'm not talking about in my lifestyle, even in my attitude when I read the Bible, the Bible corrects me, and, and, and I repent right there. So, and then for instruction in righteousness. Uh, so I encourage you, um, you know, feasting on God's Word, fasting the flesh and feasting on God's Word, and having our spirit fed with the Word of God. There's that many voices out there in the world today, friend. We really have to hear the voice of God. And when I'm talking about the voice of His Word and the voice of His Spirit, uh, one of the prevailing one of the prevailing um, signs of the last days is deception. We need, the, we need the Word of God more than ever. 
In the latter days, some shall depart from the faith, Timothy said. There's that uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. There's a lot going on out there, friends. And I don't want to preach a message of doom and gloom. I'm simply saying, I'm determined. I'm determined. I'm going to be on the ball till the very day that Jesus Christ returns. I'm not going to be listening to no deceiving spirits. I'm not running after the trendy things so that's sensational. Just plain Bible reading, plain church attendance, uh, and, uh, you know, having fellowship with brothers and sisters, genuine brothers and sisters that will encourage us in the right way. Um, it's uh, not very complicated. But sometimes people are looking for the complex, and actually for us it's really quite simple. Um, let me read to you a quote from uh, Smith Wigglesworth. Um, and he is certainly a hero of faith in modern times. Uh, he operated in the last century, just an amazing man. Um, uh, we are told that he went into ministry full-time. He quit his plumbing job at age 50. Um, and uh, dedicated the remaining time of his life to preach the gospel. Up to that stage, he was just helping his wife. She was the preacher in the church, and he was just going out, picking kids and bringing them to children's church. You know, just being faithful, whatever God had given him, just being faithful. And sometimes people think, oh gosh, you know, you know God, no doubt God's raised this man up and, you know, stuffed him full of the anointing and sent him out. No, no, he was just faithfully serving God where he was, faithfully serving God. And next minute he's got a worldwide ministry on his hands. And he impacted this world, having traveled to the uttermost parts of the earth, including New Zealand. And there's newspaper reports uh, that we can even find to this very day that Smith Wigglesworth was in Wellington in a town hall. Uh, preaching the gospel there, and they talk about, was it 1922, 23, 24, they talk about that they took away wagons full of crutches and things where people that were lame and couldn't walk properly no longer needed uh, those implements to help them get around because they got healed by the power of God, and he preached the gospel. And then we are told that they moved up into, uh, into the you know, Hutt Valley further up, and he was at some leadership camp up there and everything. So there's a man that's impacted even our nation. He was just a humble plumber, just serving in, in, the, in, in the children's church uh, until suddenly God you know, you know, sort of thrust him out. And, uh, so just never despise the day of small beginnings. The Bible says if we are faithful in a little, we will also be faithful in much. And so we've got to start with the little and allow God to increase it from there. Anyway, let me read a quote from Smith, uh, because he left his writings and his books are still with us to this very day. Um, they have got recorded sermons of his, uh, just an amazing uh, minister of the Word. He says, I understand God by His Word. I cannot understand God by impressions or feelings. I cannot get to know God by sentiments. If I'm going to know God, I'm going to know Him by His Word. I know I shall be in heaven, but I could not build on my feelings that I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven because God's Word says it, and I believe God's Word. Now, it doesn't get better than this, friends. He is a man of the Word. He's a man that walks by faith rather than by sight. He doesn't walk by feelings or by sentiment. And, you know, one of the concerns that I have today is we've got so much sentiment around, and even it's creeping into the churches, even with the music, that a lot of it is sentimental stuff that really has very little 
very little substance to it, like we're singing a song. It's like, what is the point of this? You know, when young Christian poets, uh, just because they're gifted at writing songs rather than theologians writing songs, as it used to be in the old days, you get a lot of that gushy stuff, but it has no substance to it. It's just one of my little things. Sometimes I get on my little soapbox and I hop on about it, and then I get over it and I move on. But, but uh, I just love singing songs where the words build into the songs, and songs that stir not just my feelings and my sentiment uh, or, or that touches my mind, uh, songs that really touch my heart and stir me to a greater dedication to the purposes of God. And songs that give me good theology and good doctrine rather than some of the gushy stuff that we have around uh, so much today. I understand God by his word. I'm impressed by that. So we read the word and we begin to understand God. How do we know that Jesus was moved with compassion when he looked over the multitudes because the word tells us we read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we get to know Jesus like you've never known him before if you focus on those four Gospels, if you want to start there before you read the whole Bible through in a year. Everything Jesus said, how he dealt with people, and how he reached out to them, and the only people that he had a problem with by and large was the religious folk who were pushing people down and, and not teaching them right and so forth. They're the ones that he pushed against the crowds by and large. He healed them, he fed them, he taught them. Um, and uh, so we get to know Jesus by his word. We get to know God by his word. Um, you know, praying is good and, and, and it's necessary. And we pray and we get impressions when we pray. But then we get into the Word, and then we find out if the impressions that we had are really impressions from the Holy Spirit or just impressions from our fleshly mind or something. So the Word. You know, I was talking to somebody recently and said, you know, we talk about the river of God's Spirit, and, you know, people talk about, you know, the, the river of God flowing and everything is wonderful. But, you know, the Word, uh, the Word of God provides the banks of the river. And... Uh, and, 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 and it provides direction for the river to flow. And sometimes people think they're in the river, but they're not. They're in some ditch um, somewhere over there and somewhere over there. And, uh, and they're kidding themselves, saying, we're, we're, we're in the middle of the river. And they're playing around with stupid games. And nobody's getting saved. And nobody's getting discipled. But they get the goosebumps. And they get all of that stuff going on. And we say, no, you're, you're not in the river. You're, you're in some ditch uh, over there, and man, there's a lot of stuff that goes on. It's just, let's come back to the Word. We understand God by His Word. As I prepare to close, is anybody excited this morning? <laughs> Hallelujah. We're talking about living in God's presence in these last days. This has now become more important uh, than in previous times. You know, the people used to say that, you know, there's people that, uh, you know, have half a fo one foot in the world and another foot in, in God's kingdom and they're trying to get by. But, you know, you can't get by having a foot in the world and a foot in, in the kingdom of God. We used to say, you know, you end up like this and, you know, the two of them are moving further and further apart. You'll end up doing the splits and it'll be very embarrassing uh, because the world's now way over there and the kingdom of God is now way over here and there ain't no middle ground, my friend. People say they're sitting on the fence. There is no fence. Jesus says, you either for me or you're against me. There is no fence. 
You're either in or you're out. Praise God. Say, I'm in. Hallelujah. I know you're in. Point number four. We're committing to serve God in the ministry. You know, the natural, sequential outworking of getting real close to God is that we engage and we want to do something. We want to, can, can I put my hands to something? Can I help somewhere? Can I do something? And uh, the two main areas um, that uh, all of our serving and all of our giving and everything, you know, is outworked in, that number one, we get involved in strengthening God's kingdom in the earth, and number two, we get involved in extending God's kingdom in the earth. The first one is ministry. The second one is what we call missions. Uh, you know, the whole area of the five purposes. You know, we worship, we fellowship, we, we have discipleship, but then we have ministry and then we have missions. And uh, as we get discipled and as we learn and we learn how to live in, in, in the Word and living in God's presence, we want to do something. And those two areas uh, are the, the main areas that everything we endeavor to do in, in the church and in the kingdom of God is to make the kingdom of God stronger. Uh, we're not just in, into maintenance. We're not just managing. We, we want to make it stronger so that we can reach out more and extend God's kingdom in the earth. You know, the Bible speaks about in Isaiah that God uh, uh, sent us his son. You know, it says, unto us a child is born, unto us uh, a son has been given. And the Bible says, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. Right now, the government of the whole universe is on Jesus Christ. But there's still many rebel souls running around that have not yet submitted to the government of Jesus Christ. Each time when somebody repents of their sins and calls Jesus Christ Lord and the boss of their life, they come under the government of Jesus. And we are here to help people to do that. People don't know even how to use the words many times. We even help people to pray. You know, many times we say, let me, let me lead you in a, in a prayer. Sometimes we refer to it as the prayer of repentance or the sinner's prayer so that we help people to, to say words that will bring them under the government of Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus returns, um, you know, the day of salvation is today, my friend. Uh, the first time Jesus came to the earth, he came as Savior. The second time he will come as judge. The first time he came as a humble baby. The second time he will come as the king of kings and as the Lord of lords. He's coming to take over the, all the kingdoms of this world. It's called the second coming of Jesus Christ. And in fact, uh, I've had a, a stirring that in the next few weeks, I want to be teaching about the judgment seat of Christ. Some of you remember we done an end time series last year about going, you know, to teaching on the subject of end times, and I purposely left out one of the main events uh, that the book of Revelation speaks about and, and uh, the, the, the letters in the New Testament called the Judgment Seat of Christ. Um, and, uh, and I want to be teaching that over the next few weeks, uh, and I'm just getting my ducks in a row and getting everything together because uh, there is something that much of the church world does not understand. And yet it is this understanding that helps us to spur us on to get committed, helps us to spur us on to get, get involved and to helps us to, to, you know, it stirs us up to reach out and to get lost people saved. So we serve God in a ministry and we get involved in a mission of some sort in order to reach more people. 
two more scriptures and then we'll close. Uh, ushers are preparing to hand out the communion emblems. Uh, but in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, it says, As each one has received a gift, ministry to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So the Bible speaks here about the fact that every person that's born again in God's kingdom has a gift. As each one of us has received a gift, he says, ministry to one another. So that's the ministry aspect uh, that we get involved. We do what we can, uh, serve in the church. You know, everybody's got a, 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 a mission in, in a ministry in, in the house somehow, and everybody's got a mission outside the house. Ministering to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Each time when I look at that scripture, it speaks about the manifold grace of God. See, here's what that looks like. God in his overall grace has sent his son into the world to live a sinless life, to die on the cross, so that the price for our sins would be paid. But then God's put his grace into your life and into my life, and it manifests in the form of a gift. That's why the Bible says the manifold grace of God. I sometimes refer to it as graces, plural. There's different ministry graces represented in the body of Christ, and every man, every woman, has, uh, uh, every child has a gift. And we minister that gift to one another. We get involved. We are, we are not the owners of the gift. We are the managers of the gift, and we need to manage it well. And finally, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30. It says, godly men are growing a tree that bears life-giving fruit, and all who win souls are wise. You know, Jesus spoke about, he says that, he says, I am, I am the vine, and he says, you are the branches, and I'm praying that you bear much fruit, so we want to live a fruitful life. So we get involved in a ministry, we get involved in mission, and we produce fruit, uh, and fruit that will remain. It says, all who win souls are wise. We're praying, we believe in God for strategies, more strategies, so that we've got more means of reaching people, you know, with various things that we've got going on, uh, with various ministries, that more outreach ministries are going to be launched, and more people are going to get on board, so that, you know, we've got ministry that are specifically targeting, like, you know, we, one, of, one of our main ministries that we're running is our cat ministry, it's targeting a certain sector in the population, but we want more ministries, we're ministry, ministry to young people, ministry to the elderly, ministry to, to, you know, to various other groupings and so forth. And much of it is need-based ministry so we can reach people. It says, all who win souls are wise. Let's just close with a word of prayer before we move on to communion. Father, we thank you once again that, uh, Lord, uh, that you're stirring our hearts uh, to fast and to pray in these last days. That, Lord, you're stirring our hearts to draw closer to you than ever before. Now is not the time to be distant from you. Now is most certainly not the time to slip and slide away from you. But now is the time that, Lord, we want to come real close in these last days to find a place of safety, a place of refuge, a place of being refreshed in the presence of God so that, Lord, we can serve you more effectively. We can reach out more effectively and reach more people in these last days before the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for watching Victory Christian Center. For more content, please subscribe to our YouTube channel or you can subscribe to our podcasts on Spotify, iTunes or Google Podcasts. Check out our website at victory.net.nz. We'll see you again soon.